Hey, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Hey, Pasa Mufasa, Eric Puro of Kappa Biotech, Hiva Ita Mitakulu, Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast, Eric. How are things in Finland today? Yeah, very good. Yes, things are amazing. A wonderful finish, by the way. Thank you. Forgive me for that. I got to work on the pronunciation, but I had some help with Google Translate a little. So I'm pretty sure that we have something else in common besides a mutual love for fungi, and that is saunas. And I must have a little Finnish blood in me because I'm the only person I know who grew up with a sauna and who has a religious devotion to saunas in San Diego, California. It's my understanding, Eric, that Kappa Biotech and Kappa brand actually began in a sauna. It was inoculated and incubated during a fateful steam session. So I'd love to hear about that origin story in the sauna, that first conversation of getting Kappa Biotech started, and do you still hold company board meetings in saunas? Yes, that is a that is a great question. Glad you like saunas. Sauna actually is a Finnish word. Many things happen in sauna. So women women traditionally give birth in sauna. My wife did, for instance, at home. It's also traditionally where people would go to die. So it's kind of that whole you start there, you end there. Uh, and traditionally in Finland, I mean, it was a place where you know you could have a, a really clean environment. Yeah, actually. Um, because it was always heated up so well. So for bacteria growth, this kind of thing. But, it, you know, it's also a place to have uh, business discussions. Like our office has a sauna, our, our factory. <laughs> and 30 years ago, it was written in law that uh, if you had your factory workers had to have access to sauna after their shift so they could all take a sauna together, hang out, whatever, talk, get clean and then go home. So it's very much part of the culture here in Finland. And when I moved to Finland about five and a half years ago, I was really, I knew I wanted to start a company and I knew that I was very committed to biotech as a, as a problem solving tool. Like I, I'm very, I love looking to nature for answers rather than um, our own crazy human minds. And I didn't have any technical expertise, let's say. So at that point I was doing a lot of things. I had a, a mushroom farm that I was growing some mushrooms. I was very connected to that. One of my co-founders, this Lorien van Logan Liebenstein, I invited a friend over for sauna and my friend brought my co-founder at the time. I didn't, he wasn't my co-founder at the time, but he brought this guy and uh, it's quite common to have, you know, dinner and sauna invite people for that. And so we're in the sauna, the three of us, and I'm, I'm trying to basically, you know, start a, start a company with my friend, learn about his permaculture design work that he's doing and see if there's something we could do together. And basically Lorien just talks the whole time about fungi. <laughs> And at that point, I knew how to grow them. I was growing them outdoors with logs. I was very interested. I was learning about them, uh, but it was very surface level. I read like Radical Mycology. I read some of Paul Stamets' works. I was, in, I was kind of inspired, but yeah, I didn't know, you know what to do there. And uh, he just went all this crazy stuff about fungi and that he has the skills, of course, to do this. And he has this uh, research company. And, and I said, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's make this into something really big. Uh, let's join forces. So... I think the, uh, the sauna definitely kind of helped fuse all that energy together, let's say. And yes, we do still have meetings in sauna. That definitely still happens, yeah. <laughs>
Awesome, awesome. Man, you're giving me ideas over here. We do temezcals where I live. It's kind of like a sauna, but it's a traditional sweat lodge. So I've got the sauna in San Diego and I'm still participating in group sweats here. And it looks like Kappa Biotech has undergone quite the trajectory since then. And you're now in your Series A funding round, which is the first significant round of venture capital financing. I've got your pitch deck you sent over open in front of me right now. And you all have an extremely impressive track record and results on the world stage with established supply chains that are fully transparent and that focus on organic finish grown ingredients from spore to shipment. You've secured a U.S. distribution agreement, a Chinese distribution agreement. Multiple branches of the company are currently being developed, including Kappa Health which focuses on medicinal mushroom cultivation and distribution. There's a forest and agricultural component. There's also Nordic Mushrooms wholesale ingredient brand and of particular noteworthiness to us, a psychedelics development research program and more things like that. So you've got a lot on your plate right now and I'd love to hear about your approach to going to meetings with investors and maybe some of the particulars of what this funding will enable Kappa Biotech to do when you secure it. Yeah, so we have, we're about three and a half years old, let's say, and we literally started in a garage. <laughs> so we, we, we actually had our first, uh, let's say, grain bags uh, colonizing in a garage. Uh, we had my late wife's uh, grandmother's walk-in refrigerator to kind of help, help slow down growth of different, different species. And I mean, that, that was our company, basically. And I think we, we've been really focusing, let's say, on uh, internal supply and developing our processes internally like for three and a half years so we have spent a lot of time figuring out uh, how to properly grow mushrooms for medicinal purposes not not for culinary purposes which is a huge difference uh, we spent a lot of time working on our extraction technology so okay we can grow these great mushrooms we can make these products but are, are the compounds going to be bioavailable for people that's been a, obviously a big 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 piece of our research and these things take a lot of time and effort and, and money uh, and resources. So, um, yeah, we have we've been able to, let's say, survive this long just fine, uh, grow quite, quite rapidly, be able to uh, acquire the financing that we need for each of those stages. I think the key to that success is having a very clear vision. Now, now we're kind of in this phase where we have spent three and a half years really developing what, what it is our company does. The backbone, the foundation, how we grow these mushrooms, how we extract them, you know, our, our different distribution agreements. Uh, and now is our time to scale. So it's a, I think it, in terms of a companies going for a Series A, there's not many startup manufacturing companies that exist. Uh, so this is kind of a weird, a weird place to be, especially in the mushroom space. I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, companies going after VC money are, are tech-based, right? So they could be pre-revenue even, they could be pre, you know, MVP, minimum viable product on the market, they could be pre-everything um, and, and they're just burning through cash, still trying to figure out that kind of answer. So I think that we as a, a mushroom companies or just as a manufacturer, we have something tangible. You know, we've been selling for three and a half years. We've been learning what customers want. We've been understanding the market. We've been, you know, developing and refining our methodologies and getting our quality systems in place. And so I think we're in a way a much more uh, stable investment than than a lot of companies. We're interviewing different lead investors. May that be uh, VC firms or family offices or, or, or corporate partners. Uh, but we are, yeah, we're excited to find a strategic partner that, that can help us um, kind of launch this, uh, launch this uh, company to the next stage. So 
We have, we're also working with some angel investors and we have a syndicate group kind of in the US as well. So we'll be raising about 5 million euros in funding. I think that's about $6 million. And uh, it's a lot of money, but we've, we've, we've sort of have soft confirmations on about two, two and a half, three of that. And what we'll be doing with that money is also, that, that's my fun. So that, that's the fun part. Raising it, you know, you have to do it. You gotta go through the motions and, and find the investors, but spending it is way more fun. Um, and so we're going to be spending that money on actually we're going to be building what we call the Nordic Mushroom Center, uh, and this will be a pretty phenomenal place. So it, there will be will be one of the largest exotic mushroom growing facilities in uh, in Europe, totally focusing 100% on growing medicinal mushrooms. Um, so we will we'll be growing mushrooms for high medicinal compounds, utilizing the latest technology, developing a lot of our own. Uh, well, utilizing the IP that we've been developing on how, how to grow medicinal mushrooms, um, specifically different lighting techniques, different oxygen level techniques. Probably some of your listeners know about this stuff a little bit. Uh, and uh, we'll be doing that at scale. So that, that's really exciting. Producing uh, like 10 to 15,000 kilos of dried mushrooms uh, a month. And then we'll be increasing, of course, our production facility here uh, in, in uh, our factory right now to, to be able to extract and, and deal with batches of that, that, that magnitude. But I think right now the, the medicinal mushroom industry in North America, Europe, China is just crazy. It's just unbelievable. I mean, right now, you know, medicinal mushrooms is the fourth largest category uh, in the nutraceutical and food supplement space in North America. And it's basically the second fastest growing. So, you know, it's 22 billion USD annually a year. Uh, I think that as you see, you know, a lot of startup companies right now in the space, like Four Sigmatic kind of like really brought that, brought that wave with uh, this kind of new ways of using medicinal mushrooms. But now you see lots of startup companies in the States, in, in, in Europe, um, just going crazy with medicinal mushrooms. But the th real thing to pay attention to is right now you're starting to see very large publicly traded food supplement nutraceutical companies start to incorporate medicinal mushrooms. And so that is really when it starts to get in institutionalized. That's when it goes, okay. Like CDB, it's not just a trend, it's, it's actually being implemented, there's, there's probably people using it. And so we're really excited to be part of that. I'm excited for you too, man. Every time I see a Kappa press release, there's always something amazing that y'all are working on over there. You must have some deep fungal energy reserves driving the operation over there. And speaking of, speaking of scale, Kappa manages the largest chaga mushroom cultivation network on the planet, which is mind-bogglingly awesome. And you're maintaining this massive regenerative industry that capitalizes on protecting and incentivizing care and proper management of over 200 hectares, which I believe is over 500 acres of Nordic forest. So instead of allowing this forest to be felled by a more extractive industry, which has been the case in recent decades around the region and other parts of the world, you state that it's important for Kappa to change the scenario from our Nordic forest being cut down for the use of the paper industry and instead support cultivation of medicinal mushrooms in our local forests. And for me, this is the goal of the Mycopreneur podcast, is to elevate this type of narrative that shows it's possible to move away from extractive and purely bottom line financial profit driven industry and towards a more more commercial projects that demonstrate a more comprehensive understanding of value as it relates not only to economic growth, but to ecological integrity, social cohesiveness and regenerative industry. So Kappa Health, Kappa Biotech, 
are right on the money there driving home the thesis of this podcast. And my question here is, do you have public support within Finland for moving to these more regenerative models? Or are you still encountering pressure and confrontation with these old guard industries and extractive industries that make their profits from cutting down the forests? That's a good question. But I, I would say before I answer that, I think I want to lay a little bit of the vision of why, why, why do we care about that? I think it's really like, I, I mean, it's quite trendy to care about sustainability right now, right? Um, but where, where, for Kappa, it's much more deep in a way. I mean, we, you know, so I, I'm actually an American guy. I've only been in Finland now for five and a half years. Um, but I was living in the Northwest quite a lot. And uh, in Southern Oregon, I was staying at an Earth Skills community for about a year. And we met a lot of Native American people would kind of come, come through that uh, Earth Skills community. And one of the things that they taught me that really resonated was that if, you know, if your livelihood is dependent on something in nature, you take responsibility for preserving it, right? So uh, if that's be the Chinook salmon in the, uh, you know, uh, Willamette River or the Columbia River, whatever that might be, you know, if, if you're going to put a dam up, you got to be a little bit, hey, maybe there's not a good idea for a dam here, right? And I think it's the same thing for us. We're, our livelihood is dependent on fungi. We want to preserve it. And that's that. Uh, and the forest that it's in and everything else. So if, if we're going to be uh, in this industry, we need to be able to take full responsibility for the ecological health and safety of the fungal species and, and the ecosystem that provides for that. Uh, and I think if every single company treated their supply system or their ethical system around that, we would be just fine. So, you know, we're trying to stay very, very, very focused about what impacts we make by direct by, by doing our, our business right so so we're not trying to plant a tree for every product you buy no 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 that's not what we do right it's it's we want to make it a direct direct correlated relationship that our our processes of how we get those mushrooms and what the substrate is and and how we're growing them is uh is directly related to the sustainability or the regenerative nature of that of that uh, ecosystem so that it's very connected. You buy a product, you're increasing regeneration or sustainability of that forest where it comes from. And uh, that, that's been a big piece. Also why it's taken three and a half years to get where we are now. You know, we've, we've really been able to think about that and, and move a bit slow. Um, so yeah, we are, we are managing the largest Chaga foraging, uh, Chaga uh, basically growing network uh, in the world. And um, yeah, and we, we are not actually having any difficulties with the current industry there. I think that it's actually everyone sees the writing on the wall, especially in the forest industry. This kind of extractive uh, tendencies is not it's it's just not the cards in, in, within five, 10 years. So we're actually met with a lot of, uh, I would say, not resistance, but the opposite. How, how can we help you? How can we do more? Can we grow? Can you also grow different species in the forest? What else could we do here? Uh, and, and the government is very supportive of, of our work. Uh, both financially and, you know, just with making connections and getting us, getting me in front of, the, you know, the right events to speak at. Uh, I'm also on a lot of boards um, to be part of those discussions at the at the policy level, and um, it's 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 truly phenomenal. You know, I, I we never got I, we never that ha that didn't happen to us in the U.S. Um, but in Finland, I think that they're very responsive for this kind of thing. So I mean, the forest owners that we work with, um, they're they're super happy about this opportunity, and I think. The only thing that limits us from doing more is um, limited demand. Chaga just has, there's a ceiling for how much, how much Chaga people want to take. But as that, if, as that raises, we can do more good work here in Finland, basically, you know. 
Fantastic. That's music to my ears. And I want to talk for a second about calling the company Kappa Biotechnology because I love this shift, this shift in conceptualization of fungi from being this earth material that's like, oh, mushrooms, kind of weird, to like a biotechnology, which I think a lot of people in popular culture can embrace biotech. And coming from a background where I went to school in San Francisco and, you know, California, all these buzzwords were getting thrown, thrown around. I've increasingly been talking to people in the mushroom space who refer to fungi as a biotechnology. And I think this is great for broadening the conversation and getting more people and people at a you know business level and an investment level, the buy-in to be, for example, I was talking about my podcast with a acquaintance at a co-working space who's a hotshot lawyer in New Orleans. And when I tried to explain the concept of a micropreneur, he was like, you mean like people who go pick mushrooms and put them in baskets and sell them? And I'm like, I mean, that's one angle. But like he was mystified that there are seven and eight figure and nine figure companies that are fungi centric. And I think thinking of it as biotech can help drive that conversation. And in fact, I do believe that's what they are. So I'm curious, have you always understood mushrooms and fungi to be this potent advanced form of biotechnology? Or is that a way of thinking that maybe developed later on in your career? This has happened actually within the last like three years, two and a half, three years, to be totally honest. I mean, there's more mushroom species than plant species. I mean, if you think of the impact that plants have had on our, our livelihood, it's massive. You, and you think of the potential that fungi can have as well. It's, it's, it's more. <laughs> it's more. But I think the reason it's not so utilized currently, like you mentioned, there are many companies, you know, unicorns and, and whatever, working with purely just fungi in the biotech space. Um, but it's still not the same volume as, as plants. And I think that it's just more complex. And that, that's, my, that's my mental switch has happened, is that it, it's just so much more complex. I mean, to, to properly utilize fungal medicine has to be bioavailable, has to be properly extracted, has to be grown in a different way. And, and, and you know, like we found out with lion's mane, one of the major components there, aranacines, is uh, in the mycelium. And so how many years have we been able to grow pure mycelium? What is that? You know, 50, 60 years? I mean, I'm just guessing, but not that long, right? So the technology that these bioreactors and liquid fermentation vats and stuff is also very new. All this, what we call cellular-based fungal agriculture or plant-based protein or, you know, these kind of different enzymes that, that, that mycelium makes that can make cheese and all this crazy stuff um, for the, for, you know, non, non-meat uh, uh, food or just new food categories. Again, totally new. We're talking a decade of, of really scientists starting to pay attention and take this stuff seriously. So I think that as our, uh, as kind of our, we're kind of, if you think about the, the production possibilities bubble, you know, around this, um, a lot of the companies that are working with fungi are right at that edge right now, like us and, and definitely a handful of companies in the States and around Europe. Um, we're pushing that envelope right now. And so I think uh, biotech is absolutely the appropriate word because it is so it's no longer just harvesting mushrooms in the forest and selling those anymore. I mean, now it's so complex. Like we have a, a quality team at our company. We have a lead research analyst at our company. We have two different mycologists. We have a, a research mycologist in a different lab. I mean, the amount of uh, specialists and, and, and people needing to like coordinate this kind of development is just, it, it's, it's massive. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it is, it's totally biotechnology, you know, 100%. Awesome. I love it. I still 
encounter those awkward family conversations with broader family gatherings. But like, so you do something with mushrooms. And it's just like, I just like, listen to the podcast. Come on, let's get this fleshed out. Let's get it. So we've been very fortunate at Micropreneur Podcast to host a number of different CEOs and executives representing major fungi-centric companies across the world from different niches, from the psychedelics industry, mental health, you know, development of intellectual property and novel molecule research and the word novel has come up repeatedly in some of these dialogues. So I want to specifically attach this word here to turkey tail. And I understand that the EU has recently shifted the description of turkey tail to being a novel food, which changes the regulatory scrutiny and the pipeline and who can sell it and how they can sell it. So I'd just love to hear a little bit about the current situation in the EU regarding turkey tail being classified as a novel ingredient and how these types of governmental and regulatory decisions impact Kappa and your business model. Yeah. So novel usually is kind of a fun word to talk about. Something very proud, probably those, those CEOs and executives are talking. This is something novel that we've done. This is really exciting. This is some new technology. This is some new IP that we had. This is a new possibility for improving the health of this ecosystem, whatever it might be. Um, for us, the, the novel <laughs> you're talking about is not so nice. Um, but yeah, basically, Cordyceps militaris, um, which we believe is the, is the uh, more potent uh, strain and, and, and version of Cordyceps, and also turkey tail are both novel foods, according to the EFSA, which is sort of the FDA equivalent here in Europe. And what that means is that basically th these foods have not been proven to have been used on or before some day in 1997 uh, and it, it, within the EU. So they have to go through safety trials. So it's, it's not the end of the world for us. Um, you know, we're forming basically kind of a uh, loose net industry, you know, coalition which if any, any listeners are, are, are wanting to join that, just reach out, uh, where we can actually start to go through those trials and get those, yeah, safety, safety is approved here in the Europe because definitely it's a very interesting, definitely both very interesting medicines for people, you know, that just right now are kind of needing that safety approval. Whereas, of course, in the US market, these things have been used for a long time. Yeah, but I would say on the, on the let's say on the novel side, I think probably every, every company you talk to who's involved in the fungal industry should have some really novel IP that they've been able to develop. And I would say on, on our side, of course, you know, a lot of the extraction technology and stuff that we have is, is quite novel, but we've also, the other side of our company, we're also working with these mycorrhizal fungi, um, which are, which are quite exciting. And I really, I really love them. And these are the, these are the fungi that have like, you know, sort of, um, very interesting relationships with plants. So, you know, they have, if a hyphae, hyphae you can think of being the width of a hair, the root of a plant could be the, the, the size of a finger. So the ability for them to go into the soil to get nutrition and everything else is, is just so much more. So plants and, and, and mycorrhizal fungi have been creating these synergistic relationships for pff, eons, right? For since the beginning of time. And the tree of course will take, you know, atmospheric based carbon, turn it into, car, you know, solid based car, uh, sugar and feed that to the mycorrhizal fungi in, in exchange for water and nutrition and this kind of thing. So what? We all know that, right? But what we have been able to find is a lot of companies are working with uh, spores, mycorrhizal spores, and they're saying home gardeners, commercial nurseries, hey, utilize these species for your you know, spruce trees or rose roots or whatever. What our company has done is one step a little bit further, which is very novel. We've been able to bring forth the world's first uh, uh, commercialization technique for actual live, live mycorrhizal strain inoculation in commercial nurseries. 
So this is really exciting because then just like when we go to the store and buy an apple, we want to have a sweet, nice, crisp, juicy apple, right? You want to get something that you really enjoy. Uh, and so humans since the beginning of time have been cultivating strains. So the shiitake, the oyster, all these mushrooms, everyone here probably knows there's strains that are better at this, strains better at that. And it's the same with mycorrhizal fungi. The strains are very important to the performance of those seedlings. So what we have been able to do is test over hundreds of these different strains with a research partner uh, here in Finland and been able to really pull out the strains that actually are providing a lot of benefit to those seedlings, you know, bigger root mass, higher survivability at outplanting, increase of uh, height, um, whatever sort of quantities that are really important there, actually to yeah get those implemented in the commercial nursery. Uh, and, and I mean, this reduces pesticide use, reduces fertilizer use, increased carbon sequestration of, of the uh, of the plant. That's biotech, right? What, how, what else would you call that? You know, I mean, if, if we're thinking about um, climate change mitigation, which is a huge one right now, what can we do to be taking CO2 out of the atmosphere? Well, trees should be taken out as much as humanly possible, giving it to those mycorrhizal fungi in the form of sugar, and they should be burying it deep down in the soil. That's long-term carbon sequestration of the forest cycle. Uh, and I think with mycorrhizal fungi, we have such an opportunity to be developing strains that are that are even better at that, you know, supercharging those those characteristics. So I want to riff off that for a second. My wife and I have been working with Occidental College in Los Angeles with the Department of World Affairs to develop online content and immersive video content for them. And part of the project we're working on is with the United Nations and the mayor's office of Los Angeles with the 17 sustainable development goals that they've rolled out. There's like 9,000 companies across the world, $4 trillion in assets and this massive global push to try to decarbonize and to try to create these kind of regenerative industries we're talking about. And the more I've been looking at and researching these goals and interviewing policy experts and this professor and that, I see fungi as being such an underutilized, undertapped resource and this goal to make the world more sustainably sustainably developed. And that's something I've been I've been doing a deep dive into because it just feels like this massive blind spot where there may be a little bit of research going into, but everything you just said, it's like, why can't we steer some of this massive resource allocation towards, you know, funding a few of these companies like Kappa and whatnot. So for everybody listening, I, I encourage you, check out the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals because a lot of global policy being implemented right now is being driven by these conversations. And I think if you want your voice to be heard, start a company, start showing that it works, start showing results. And that's part of what Mycopreneur is, is can we actually have a voice? Can we actually have a agency at some of these broader meetings between industry stakeholders and governmental stakeholders, et cetera? And if you start a company that demonstrates at scale that this stuff works and there's demand for it, we may have a chance to actually drive some of this policy in a lot of ways. So that's my like pie in the sky kind of, yeah, mushroom thinking that I've got. Dennis, Dennis, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think Kappa, Kappa and probably many of the companies that you're interviewing here, that's our goal, right? I mean, it's one thing to, to write about the potential of fungi or to talk in that sauna three and a half years ago about all the things that fungi can do and all this amazing stuff. But, but you know, where the rubber hits the road is going and putting those long hours you know, into a company, getting this stuff actually out there, commercialized, actually being utilized, actually having those those years of demonstration uh, and, and bringing these really benefits through fungi to to uh, problems that, that we're facing right now, challenges that we're facing as a species. 
And I, and I think this carbon sequestration one is one that's totally not spoken about. And that's why I try to work it into any, any, any podcast that I'm on, any conversation that I'm part of, because it's a piece of, like you have recognized this uh, fungi as an aspect for this, but it's very, very, very rarely asked, you know, recognized. And I think if you look at like Elon Musk just had this, what is it called? The climate prize, right? Uh, I think it was like a couple million euro, a couple million dollars to find how to take the carbon out of the atmosphere because it's kind of too late in a way. Even if we stop producing carbon completely, we have too much already in the atmosphere. So we got to start taking it out. So what he's been funding and what they're looking at are these chemical scrubbers. So basically atmospheric carbon is going through this uh, uh, filter system. It's pelletizing, it's chemical process to strip that atmospheric gas-based carbon out, uh, turning it into a solid-based carbon, pelletizing that and shoving it down line, um, you know, mine shafts. Uh, and the problem with this, I think Elon Musk made it very clear on the Joe Rogan podcast when he was announcing this prize, was that, you know, the first law of thermodynamics, uh, not going to change, energy is sort of uh, maintained, you know, you can't make it up out of nothing, and you can't just lose it from nothing. So, you know, how much energy did it take to take out that, that uh, carbon based, uh, solid based carbon from the ground, you know, bring it up, process it, burn it, turn it into atmospheric carbon, you have to do at least that same energy to reverse that process, if not more, because there's losses, right? And when he's done the math, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't work. It was something like renewable energy of solar panels needs to cover like half the planet just to do this decarbonization of the atmospheric carbon. Whereas when you look at, you know, forests right now from a, from a, from a biotech standpoint, right? So not from a tech, a pure tech standpoint, from a biotech standpoint, okay, we have this beautiful forest that are actually you know, functioning very well. The trees are actually able to take out that, that, that carbon, but you know, the tree will use that carbon also to grow, not just send to the mycorrhizal fungi. Okay, is that carbon sequestration? You chop the tree down most in most situations or some of the trees, they go to build something or turn into paper uh, and then 60 something percent of that carbon is gonna go back up in the atmosphere uh, within the next you know, century. So you're kind of delaying a carbon cycle. You're not long-term sequestering that carbon. Whereas fungi have a really, most mycorrhizal fungi have a very interesting process. They melanize that carbon, which actually turns that carbon into a, 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 basically a, a solid state that's more similar to diamond than wood, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't decompose again. You're, it's a long-term locking of that carbon into the soil. It's, it's one of the main mechanisms that we know how to do that. So what are those, what are those mycorrhizal species that are in your local forest? Like we're working here in Finland in the Boreal Forest. What are the micro? What are those mycorrhizal species that are doing that well in your forest? What is a research university that you could connect with? And I think that this is this is a huge business potential for for many 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 companies to go out there and really show you know fungi solving one of the biggest uh, biggest problems that we have as a species right now. Actually, one thousand percent on the money. Not surprised that you're very tuned into this already. So I have been an ardent fungi enthusiast for many years, and especially these days. I'm constantly learning about new ways of innovating with fungi. And you just described some of them right now that I'm not 100% familiar with. Maybe a little bit more than other people, but certainly not to the depth that Kappa is. So another term that I've been seeing and that Kappa is invested in and have some products under your portfolio is nutraceuticals, which using my powers of intuition and my sixth grade knowledge of Latin root words is basically food as medicine. I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about what nutraceuticals are and specifically how Kappa Biotech is leveraging nutraceuticals and fungi to create and deploy these products. Yes, yes. So nutraceuticals is a very interesting, it's, a, it's kind of like a, 
is it the legal category? I don't know exactly, but it's sort of an industry category. So you kind of have, you have food, you have food, yeah, then you have food supplements, then you have nutraceuticals, and then you have pharmaceuticals. So nutraceuticals is somewhere where there's some health claims, right? There's some, there's some established health benefits, um, but not exactly you're isolating compounds and have double-blind placebo trials where it's a pharmaceutical level. Uh, and it's not exactly just a food supplement where you're saying you, this does nothing because you legally can't make health claims, right? So it's somewhere between that. So I think nutraceuticals is a very interesting space. Um, and, and yes, we are, so most of the products that we sell right now are actually technically food supplements. Uh, and both with the FDA and EFSA, there's not a lot of approved health claims that you can make with fungi right now. Um, but this is something that the capital is investing in quite massively. So we, we're, we're working on a big um, EU um, grant right now to actually start getting specifically lion's mane, having some very interesting health claims. Um, we're working with a, with a pharmaceutical laboratory here in Europe to be really establishing what, what are those different molecules in lion's mane that are helping reduce, you know, reduce uh, amyloid beta plaques, reduce risk of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, uh, increase neurogenesis, you know, stuff that we've seen from literature. There's about 30 human clinical trials in that space as well. But um, I, I think that that's really, if, if we look at where, where medicinal mushroom companies need to be looking forward to, that's it, is going, okay, we've been able to, yeah, there are, there are, tri there are trials out there. Western medicine has done a lot. I'm on the executive committee for the International Medicinal Mushroom Society, so I see a lot of those trials, I see a lot of that research. Um, but the next stage to me is that companies go, okay, let's get health claims for these different species. Let's be able to communicate to a wider market, not just fungi nerds or health nerds, basically, which is you know, our, our target market in a way, uh, who really know a lot about, or biohackers, you know, who know a lot about their own health and have done their own research and have figured out that mushrooms can provide something for them. Let's be able to make actual health claims that, you know, my grandma going shopping can pick up a bottle of cordyceps and understand that it increases ATP production and get, it's going to give her a little bit more energy. Uh, and she's going to have a little bit better day when she's got to go to the grocery, get her hair cut and everything else that she's got to do. And that, to me, that's where we start to make a really big impact. That's where, when my grandma's taking this stuff, my job's done, you know? And so, <laughs> so I think that moving more toward this nutraceutical space is really a top priority for our company. And I think probably many, should be for many medicinal mushroom companies out there. Sure. And talking about the psychedelic space, a few of the C-level executives we've had on have expressed that same sentiment where even if doctors don't take this medicine themselves, they want the data and the regulatory scrutiny to be on point enough in the research so that they're confident and comfortable prescribing it as opposed to being this kind of this misunderstood treatment applying that same sober regulatory lens to it so that it is an established and verifiable product that you know people outside the bubble of psychedelia are are invested in and are are okay feeling that they're they're okay so obviously there's a lot of research and a lot of steps to go in that but I've been at a couple of conferences this year and the buzz and some of the presentations from Meet Delic in Las Vegas from the Telluride Mushroom Festival are that there are more you know, venture capitalists and investors and people coming from the pharmaceutical space who are applying that lens and who are developing. And that's creating all kinds of different conversations, you know, and friction here and there. But that's something we're tracking pretty closely because uh, as one investor or panelist at Meet Delic in Las Vegas said, the potential market for psychedelic compounds and for these compounds and, and mushrooms are everybody on the planet, literally everybody on the planet. So 
It's pretty fascinating to see how that goes. And uh, speaking of that, speaking of developing this market and putting our best foot forward and having sort of a unified approach, next week we are hosting our first Micropreneur Incubator, which is an in-person congress or a brain trust of fungi entrepreneurs who are all running established mushroom companies. And you probably know a few of the people that we'll have here. So it's a little bit daunting for me to put this event together, especially in this age of volatility and precarity in regards to travel and global health concerns. But against all odds, it's happening. And we have a fantastic group of core micropreneurs who are going to be in attendance and giving workshops and connecting with each other, laying the foundation for collaboration, etc. Resource sharing, professional development. And I'd just love to hear from someone who's running an established and a global mushroom company, what are some of the types of conversations or events that you think you would want to participate in if we were doing future micropreneur incubators? What do you think would be beneficial for people who already have their operation up off the ground and now they're primarily invested in things like scaling and things like dealing with regulatory scrutiny and boards, et cetera, and the global market? I'd just love to hear some perspective from you. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't know what a cap table was when I started the company, right? So, you know, it, it's a huge learning curve, you know, to go from uh, interesting idea to, you know, successful, you know, startup fungal company, you know, and, and, and I think that it's, um, yeah, regulatory board governance, my God, you know, all, all these pieces are just pieces that you got to learn as you go as, as much as you can. I mean, I had, I've done some co corporate consulting, I have a business background, you know, so I have a context, but, but again, it's uh this is a way different beast, entrepreneurship. So I think I think just general, you know, being able to share stories and and feel that you're kind of all in it together, right, is really important. You know, and I and I have my network of, of different CEOs here in Finland that I connect with, you know, in similar industries. Maybe it's food, maybe it's health, uh, and, or technology. There's a quantum computing company that I'm close with, and I think it's just you know it's good to go. Hey, you're having that same thing. What did you do? You know, what am I doing? So I think just making that space is one of the most important, you know, but, but one thing that I really like to stress with people right now is that, is that basically our industry is, is way too small to be, to be developing a bunch of competition for each other. And I would really say that it's, it's a very interesting thing to really learn what are the companies that are out there right now? What are they doing? And, uh, and find something totally different to get involved in, right? Because I think that there's so many applications for fungi. There's so many things that can be done. There's so many synergies. Like I, I, I have probably at least once or twice a month some, some startup company contacting me about, about some collaboration. And we always find a way to work together. We always find a way to work together. Because why, if CAP is developing some, some division or developing some, some thing, why would we need to do that in-house if, if we find a good partner for that, right? So I think that, that uh, we can lead a new way of doing business, which to me is more collaborative, you know? And uh, I think that that would be, yeah, to me, to me, a really beautiful thing that we could do, you know? And, and more discussions around how to, how to start those conversations, because I think many times we get stuck in our own heads of what we want to do, and, and we just don't, we put our blinders on, and we go in the garage, and we build our thing, and then we come out and go, look at this crazy cool thing that we did. I would say that just if you're, if you're having that entrepreneurial drive and you're having that spirit, start sharing your idea a lot, start contacting companies, start seeing where there could be collaboration, ask companies like me, ask larger mushroom companies, just what, what do you need help with? What, what is going on here? What, what are the pieces of your company that, that, that need more development? Because there just isn't 
a huge industry around this right now. <laughs> there just isn't. So, so yeah, that would be my, and, and, and any sort of workshops or any sort of discussions you can have to really facilitate that, you know, to bring, to, to change that, that mindset just a little bit, you know, and I think if people are going to be coming together for a week, they already have a little bit of that context. So I think that's great. Awesome. And just putting this out there, I'd love to do a future micropreneur incubator in Europe. So for anyone listening who can't make it out to Mexico, I'm actively looking into doing something in London or Amsterdam, hopefully this year. So stay tuned. We got to crush the first one first. That's what I always tell myself. It's like you got to start with one before. Hey, we'd host it in Finland. If you want to come here, we'd happily host it. I, I absolutely do want to come there and I've been looking into it. So I've got plenty of friends in Europe. Part of my background, Eric, is that I hosted foreign exchange students growing up. So I had students from all over, all over the former Soviet Union, from you know parts of Africa like Cape Verde and Ghana and Madagascar and literally the whole planet because my mom was a coordinator. So we'd have them live with us for a year. And when they didn't have a family or it wasn't working out, they'd come and stay with us. So we had this revolving door of people from all over the planet. And then after we stopped hosting the high school exchange students, we got involved with the US State Department Citizen Diplomacy Council so we're hosting these delegations of people who have, you know, backgrounds as lawyers, judges, border security, things like that, customs officials, entrepreneurs. So, you know, as I was getting more and more into mushrooms, I realized like I got this massive global network of people all over the planet who are involved in policy level decision making, working for the United Nations and NGOs and this and that. I just kind of took this whole network for granted. And now I'm having all these conversations. You know, there's a guy in Timor-Leste who runs a food truck and he's doing educational workshops where they're foraging wild fungi and they're impacted by climate change. You know, so I'm just, I'm seeing all these opportunities, people in Russia and Poland who have, you know, ancestral, ancestral backgrounds with fungi where they go, yeah, I grew up just going out to the forest and picking wild fungi. So one of the narratives I'm invested in right now, after having just read a book by, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but Noah Harari Yuval, he, he authored um, Sapiens, which was a very popular book, and then 21, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And it touches on a lot of our global issues and issues that have been created and compounded by globalization. And again, I just got these light bulbs going off like, Fungi could solve that issue. Fungi could mitigate that issue, etc. But one of his core narratives in that recent book I read is that part of the global chaos we're seeing, if you will allow that term chaos, is the collapse of old stories about who we are. And there hasn't been an, an emergence of a unified story about who we are. So part of all of this like nationalism and tribalism and these, you know, social incohesiveness that we're seeing and, and problems they're they're created or they're exacerbated by us not having this unified story of who we are and again i see mushrooms as playing an instrumental role in that and if if we could embrace at large on a planetary scale all of these different pockets of the planet where people have traditionally historic ancestrally been using mushrooms and been leveraging this advanced technology if we could just dial that up and ratchet it up and integrate that a little bit with our principles, guiding principles of global commerce and industry. So again, that's a pretty broad, comprehensive kind of view of the whole issue, but that's something I'm increasingly invested in right there. Just wanted to trot that out there. Dennis, I got, I got a very good story for you, if you got a minute. So, so basically here in Finland, the indigenous people are called Sami people. So they, they kind of stretch the northern part from, let's say, Sweden, uh, Finland, also northern Russia. And they actually have a very interesting part of their culture, which is really inspiring for me. So, so they have um, 
So I think if you, if you think of the, the uses of psychedelic mushrooms across indigenous cultures, it's very common, right? There's almost every indigenous culture that I've studied has some element of this, you know? And I think it's, it, in, in Finland, they have, or in the Sami people, they have really interesting idea of, of around this, I could, I could show you outside my window. It's about, what time is it? 5.45, it's totally dark and has been for months. <laughs> We get about a few hours of sunlight now each day because we're so high, you know, in, in the planet uh, and so much more than the northern hemisphere. And it's, it can be quite depressing. I mean, the energy levels for everyone goes down a little bit. We're all supplementing with our vitamin D. Um, we are, which you can get from mushrooms, by the way. Uh, and, you know, so we're supplementing with vitamin D. It's, it, you know, people in Finland are, are, are drinking some more alcohol in these times, right? They're self-medicating. Um, this kind of thing, and, and I think that this was kind of a let's say health issue for 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 hundreds of thousands of years here, right? So the Sami people, what they did is around this time in the solstice, um, they would have uh, ceremonies with with uh, Amanita muscaria, and there'd be a person in the village or in the regional village who would bring those Amanita muscaria preparations just around to people's houses, and it was just all right. Let's let's hit a reset button, you know. Let's let's deep. Let's let's spend this time to deeper, you know, go through deeply what, who we are, what we think about, and uh, and what's what's important for us, and um, take care of their mental health. And it was part of their institutionalized culture. It wasn't uh, stigmatized. It wasn't uh, um, thought bad about. It was a yearly ritual. It wasn't every day. It wasn't every month. A yearly ritual to just check in with themselves. Hey, who am I right now? What's going on? What's what bad stories am I telling myself that I need my my default mode network pause for a little bit to understand what I'm saying? You know, what are the good stories that I'm telling myself? Where is my ego at? And just have that that reflection and that moment just built in. You know, just like we open Christmas presents, they would have you know had a had an amazing mental health journey. You know, and I think. Um, how truly amazing is that? And we think, like you mentioned, kind of these advanced cultures. How advanced is that, actually? That's really advanced. Yeah, yeah we have iPhones, but we still are like depressed and we, we tell ourselves that we suck and all this crazy weird stuff. I mean, you know, th this is an amazing culture, actually. It really takes care of their people. Part of what drew me and kept me here in southern Mexico is the funga, is the fungi culture. And I grew up on the border. Like you can see Mexico and the border from my house and my family house. So the whole cross-border social economy and uh, industry is very familiar to me. And the first time I came down to southern Mexico, to Chiapas, where I'm based, I fell in love with it. And part of what I fell in love with is the Mayan culture here and these this amazing mixture, this confluence of different identities and of undisturbed nature. There are jungles and nature preserves here where they still have pumas and they have harpy eagles. So they've got jaguars and anteaters and you know some of the rarest bird species in the world. So it goes to show that as I started learning more about the ecosystems and the social histories of the people, there are tens of thousands of mushrooms here and there's very little research or funding. I literally know the people who are the PhDs who are writing the white papers on this stuff and there's only a handful of them, right? Because of globalization, a lot of the younger, you could call it colonization too, absolutely, but globalization, colonization, a lot of the younger generations of these Mayan families and the locals, they're not learning about fungi. There's this general younger generation not picking up on these ancestral values and instead they're 
paying more attention to Champions League soccer, to TikTok, to things like this. But there's a mycelium level movement of activists who are trying to bridge that gap. For example, I'm working on a project the next rainy season where a friend of mine here who's a very impressive local Chiapanecan Mexican mycologist and activist, he said that 10 years ago in the markets in Tuxla, which is the capital of Chiapas, there were people selling baskets full of wild mushrooms and it was a booming commerce trade. Now they can't even sell $5 a day worth of these mushrooms. Nobody's buying the mushrooms. And there's even a sign, there's a massive sign printed at a hospital near me that advises against picking and consuming wild fungi. Let's explore that and let's bridge the gap here. We've got some amazingly under-resourced, impressive mycologists and conservationists here in this region. And we've got people in the States who have deep pockets and they wanna help and people overseas. And that's part of what the incubator too is, is my pie in the sky vision is to bridge these communities. So I just see this opportunity to be like, dude, we need to support this. We need to do fungi diplomacy is what I call it. And that's what we're doing right now. Good for you. And, 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 and I wanna say one thing, cause we, we work a lot with rare and endangered species. And I think what, what you're talking about is a potential rare and endangered species. Why should we care about rare and endangered species above and beyond any sort of just duty to the ecosystem, right? These rare and endangered fungal species are going to be the medicine that we need tomorrow, right? For the disease that we don't know yet. You know, now, now we have already three different mushrooms that I know that have patents to helping COVID, right? I mean, it, it just, we have to, we have to fund these people like you just spoke about uh, to have the tools and resources to go out there, collect those spore prints, make sure that we save these mushrooms, make sure that we understand them because we never know when we're going to need them, you know? It's, it's been a really awesome opportunity to connect with you today. We've hit the sweet spot. We could go on ad nauseum, but that's part of the beauty of the podcast and these narratives is we get to continue them. They're ongoing. This isn't a one and done operation. And I absolutely will be closely following Kappa Biotech and the company trajectory and all of the announcements that y'all are making. And I really would sincerely like to come out there to Finland. I can jump on a plane anytime. Welcome anytime. Well, I want to say maybe maybe you know about the sauna, but you don't know about Avanta. So okay, so maybe we want to look up Avanta, but it's a uh, it's ice hole swimming, and this is really I think if we think of a sauna as being I don't know the pie, Avanta is the ice cream on top. You gotta have both of them. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. I'm so glad we made this work. The connection cooperated. So we really appreciate you. Eric from Kappa Biotech. Everybody, go check them out. We'll link all of their socials and really, really get into what they're doing because I, I firmly believe that Kappa Biotech is one of those industry leaders who's going to effectively drive forward the narrative of what we're all trying to do as micropreneurs. So thanks for taking the time to join us. I know y'all are super busy and we look forward to future collaborations and opportunities to connect in person person. Thanks, Dennis. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode 
And also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you.